0: I'm going to take a leaf out of Michael's book this morning. Is Michael here? He's not. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a leaf out of Michael's book, and he's already assured me he doesn't mind, um, and start with just a little play acting. Oh, wait a minute. Little introduction. It's evening, and in Jerusalem, some of the Sanhedrin have come together, as they quite often did at the end of a day, to converse about the events of the day and current affairs. And... As it usually was, the subject under discussion that evening was Jesus of Nazareth. I suppose you heard about what happened in the temple today. Heard about it, I was there. Absolutely disgraceful behavior, overturning tables, causing an uproar, and in the temple. I tell you, I was within an inch of throwing the fellow out. Oh, yes. That's right, you should be more concerned about the way he healed that old chap at Bethesda. Now, that's a neat trick if you can pull it off. Except that it wasn't a trick. Come on, we've all seen that poor old chap lying there day in, day out for years now and suddenly he's healed. That was not a trick, that that was for real. I think we have to face facts. This Jesus of Nazareth, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Jesus of Nazareth must have been sent from above. You're not suggesting. No, no, of course not. No, I'm not. But facts are facts. He must be at least a a, a prophet, a teacher. Gentlemen, may I remind you? that we are the teachers of the people of Israel? We know the law, we know the proper way to do things. They should be listening to us, not to some jumped up Nazarene who comes along and says all the wrong things and stirs people up. The Romans won't wear it. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Well, don't look at me. Why should I have to have all the ideas? We already tried discrediting him, and that did us a fat lot of good, didn't it? I think, I think we should get rid of him once and for all. Oh, yes. The man is a threat to us, to our way of life, to our people. The Romans will go ballistic if they get the idea that we don't know how to control our own people. We should have him arrested, tried, and executed as a dangerous troublemaker. Oh, yes. Well, good luck with that plan. Maybe you haven't noticed the huge crowd of people that follow him around. You think they're just going to let you waltz in and arrest him? Yeah, you and whose army? It'll be the Roman army if we don't do something about it soon. Nicodemus goes off on his own. Like his colleagues, he recognizes that Jesus must have been sent from God. Nobody could do the things that he does unless God was with him. Is he then the Messiah? Nicodemus isn't quite ready to commit himself on this point. But it is strange nevertheless The Pharisees are supposed to be the teachers of the people. They have an expert knowledge of the law and theology. So if God has sent Jesus and he's teaching the people something different, what's going on? The Pharisees Pharisees are satisfied to settle that what they believe and understand is all there is to believe and understand. But Nicodemus senses that there's something more and he wants clarity on it. Now Jesus is perfectly willing to give Nicodemus answers. Nicodemus doesn't even need to frame his question because Jesus knows what's in his heart but whether it will give him clarity is another matter. Jesus points out that he's been been talking about the kingdom of God in the most down-to-earth terms for some time now telling what he personally knows to be true, what he personally has seen. And Nicodemus hasn't accepted his testimony. He hasn't understood. How does he expect to understand if Jesus tells him that the Son of Man has come down from heaven, that he's going to be lifted up as an atonement for the sins of the people so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life, that the Son has come to reveal and demonstrate God's love for all the world and to lead those who believe to new life. How is Nicodemus going to be able to understand that? Well, he's not, of course. Not unless he is prepared to undergo a fundamental change of attitude. Jesus tells Nicodemus that no one, not Jew nor Gentile, can enter the kingdom of God nor enjoy any of the benefits of that blessed kingdom unless he allows the Spirit of God into his heart to regenerate him, to make him into a new person, to form Christ in his heart. Now, we don't know how Nicodemus responded to Jesus' words because he fades out of the story at that point. Was he perhaps wishing he'd never opened that particular can of worms? wondering if perhaps his colleagues were right after all? Given that he'd spent his whole life in the comfortable belief that to be born an Israelite, a son of Abraham, gave an automatic right of entry and enjoyment of the kingdom of God, and that it was a right enjoyed by them alone, not the Gentiles as well, I should think he was fairly knocked for six by what Jesus told him. We see Nicodemus again briefly in John's gospel when he spoke out, To persuade the Pharisees to give Jesus a fair trial and we hear that he took costly spices to anoint Jesus's body in the tomb so he must have gone away and thought about what Jesus said but more importantly how do we respond to Jesus's challenge life in 21st century Hazelmere is not without its complications there's a lot of demands on our time and our concentration How much things cost. The unreliability of the trains. The difficulties of getting doctor's appointments, hospital appointments, jobs, education for our children, our grandchildren. People wanting us to understand about GDPR. So, might we be tempted to ignore Jesus' words? Not to want to be bothered with what is, after all, quite a difficult concept to get our heads around. Do we really need it? Isn't it enough to come to church on a Sunday, sing our praises to God and say our prayers to show how much we understand and appreciate God's grace in sending Jesus to sacrifice himself for us? And yet listen to the summary of the law, the law that was spoken to Moses by God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. How can we possibly hope to fulfill those two commandments. And they are commandments. They're not requests or suggestions in our own strength. No matter what we do, how can we possibly give our allegiance so completely to God relying on our own strength? When the minute we leave this sanctuary the world, with all its distractions and its difficulties and its, its complications, will be pulling at us again, demanding our allegiance. We need the Spirit of God in order to become a new creature in our hearts, in the way we think and act and speak. We need the Spirit to turn our evil into good, our darkness to light, and our sin To salvation. And it's so easy. All we have to do is ask. It's God's grace. His gift to us. Okay, it's a bit scary. What might the Spirit pitchfork us into if if we give him the chance? Last week, for example, Claire was adamant that we must share our faith with other people. You'll probably recall that Chris... Um, preached exactly the same message a few weeks earlier. Now for me, that was very uncomfortable hearing. I can stand here and talk to you, but we're already in church, so there's a presumption that we're already on the same side. But to share something that is so very personal to me out there with an unbeliever That's very far outside my comfort zone. So how should I respond to that? If we set aside, for the moment, the nuclear option favored by the Pharisees of having Claire and Chris arrested, tried, and executed as dangerous troublemakers, which I think is probably a little bit over the top, should I ignore their words? Because I know what I can do and I know what I can't do. I am very well aware of my limitations and I'm sure someone else, plenty of other people, will be far better at that job than me. Or should I ask the Holy Spirit to show me how I, with my strengths and my weaknesses, with my limitations, how I can fit into this part of God's plan? Because we are all unique creations. We can't all do everything. We don't all do things in the same way. But we can all do something. In the Isaiah reading that um, Elizabeth read to us, the Lord of hosts, the sovereign of the universe, the train who was sitting on a throne, the train of his robe, filling the temple, asked Isaiah, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? He asked. He could have commanded, but he asked. We know it's not in God's character to force anything on us. He's not going to pitchfork us into anything we're not ready for or not open to. And he knows that we are not all the same. We each have different strengths and weaknesses. And we are all equally valuable to him. This is our creator we're talking about, who loved us so much that he gave his only beloved son to death on a cross for our sakes, who created each one of us individually as a precious and unique person who knows every hair on our heads. Surely we can trust him to know how to handle each one of us. Surely we can trust the Holy Spirit of our God to guide each one of us safely to fulfill our part in God's plan. I know, I know, for a lot of you, I'm teaching you to suck eggs here, that you're already born again from the Spirit and probably know far more about it than I do. But it seems to me that being renewed by this Holy Spirit is not something that happens overnight. It's not the work of an instant. It's it's more than a matter of, of giving up Lent for chocolate. No, that's not right. Giving up chocolate for Lent that's a Freudian slip. <laughs> giving up chocolate for Lent or or alcohol for October. It's a fundamental change of attitude that comes through in the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we speak at all times. Our human inclinations become subject to the guidance of the Holy Spirit within us. And we still make mistakes. Our rebirth in the Spirit is a work in progress. That's why we start each service with a moment of confession. I'm sorry I didn't listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but went my own way. I'm sorry that I didn't do what the Spirit urged me to. I'm sorry I forgot. I was too afraid, too embarrassed, too busy with my own concerns. God have mercy on me, a sinner. It isn't enough just to know in our heads that Jesus was the Son of God and that he died for our sakes, we have to let that intellectual knowledge act on our whole being. That's what being reborn through the Spirit is all about, so that we become this new person who has Christ stamped in our hearts, in our minds, and on our tongue. And then we'll be fit to understand and enjoy the kingdom of God. Amen.